What happened at Lexmark and what's happening at Lexmark is quite interesting. They had a very sophisticated statistical quality control, quality assurance function in their organization. They took that advanced mathematical capability that had been pointed at a certain problem in their organization, and they pointed it at a different problem. I just think that it's a pretty amazing moment. Someone had the idea. They said, look, we had this data and analytics that we've used for a particular function, but that data can also help us in other ways. It can give us degrees of insight that we hadn't thought about before. And when we think about what the future of intelligence is, when we think about taking data and using that data to inform decisions that we'd never applied it to before, that's a pretty exciting world. Welcome to Future Enterprise, a brand new podcast series from the thought leaders at IDC. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli, Group Vice President and IT Executive Advisor. On this episode, I'm excited to bring you a special roundtable conversation about the future of intelligence. IDC defines the future of intelligence as an organization's capacity to learn combined with its ability to synthesize that information in order to apply the resulting insights at scale with the goal of gaining a sustainable competitive advantage or an ability to fulfill the organizational mission. And one of the people who is instrumental in doing that for us here at IDC is our Group Vice President of Analytics and Information Management, Dan Vesett. Hey, Dan. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me, and I really look forward to having this conversation today. Great. Dan, we've been talking about data and analytics for decades. What's different now? Well, there are many things that are obviously different today in 2020. More data, obviously more scalable infrastructure. But I want to talk about one difference that really stands out. And that is uh, that executives are no longer simply paying lip service to the value of data and analytics. In our research at IDC, we found that close to 90% of CXOs in a study that we did earlier uh, this year said that driving enterprise intelligence is their number one priority for the next uh, five years. There are now increasing number of CEOs and chief financial officers who are highlighting, uh, maybe even bragging about the value they're deriving from data and analytics during quarterly calls with uh, their investors and financial analysts. And that is really a new phenomenon. So they're not just assigning project value to their investments in data and analytics, but they're assigning value to the company as a whole. So Dan, you, you highlight a really important change and it's, it's, it's not about technology. It's about people and the way people are applying the data. Any sense of what's caused that? Is it generational? Is it that people have grown up with intensive data and analytic tools? Any thoughts? I think part of it is probably generational. Uh, part of it is the examples that executives in one industry are seeing from the data. Uh, native companies, if you will, the benefits that some of the online retailers, uh, some of the entertainment companies, for example, some of the social media companies are deriving from data, and they're looking for ways to apply some of those lessons learned uh, in their own companies. That's great. Thank you, Dan. But before we dig too much deeper, I'd like to welcome the CIO of Lexmark, Brad Clay, to the conversation. Hello, Brad. Thank you for inviting me. So, Brad, you've overseen some incredible innovation and change when it comes to the gathering, the use, and the sharing of data. You know, what are your thoughts on on where we're at and how we got here? You know, the where we got, you know, how we got here is, you know, a really interesting story. You know, 
analytics has been a, a topic for years, right? This is not a new thing, but the capabilities that are there today are now much more than just the report, the spreadsheet, the data warehouse, the data lake that we would have seen before, where you had a real hunger for trying to get to that insight that's under all of that data. You know, with the cloud, with the hyperscalers, you know, now we have some abilities to amass and mine data with really powerful tools and do that at scale that just didn't exist before. As I always tell my team, this is a great time to, to be in IT because the capability has really finally met the need. So Brad, as you, you describe your situation, it sounds like the practices you've had around data and analytics existed before COVID. You're not talking about it as a direct result of the crisis. Have things evolved and changed since the crisis, or was this a capability that existed before? Well, I like to say that you can't skip levels of maturity. So for us, this is a journey. It's like being in school. You don't go from very basic uh, algebra to calculus. You go through, you know, a series of classes and learning. All of those things prepare you to be able to use that data, to be able to use those insights and, and capabilities at the end. This didn't start with COVID, but, you know, these things, while you can't skip levels of maturity, you absolutely can increase your rate of learning. And I think that COVID has certainly had that type of an impact, you know, across this, the enterprise spectrum. So Dan, I, I know that you've done some research on maturity levels and maturity capabilities. Any thoughts that you, you can add to what, uh, to what Brad has shared with us? So Brad, I think, highlights the tremendous opportunity. And I think with that comes this awesome responsibility for data engineers and data scientists. And as he was talking, I was reminded about a quote from uh, Herbert Simon. He was a Nobel Prize winner in economics. He said, in, in an information-rich world, the wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. So one of the challenges we're seeing today, and, and, and I think it's a challenge of some of the less mature organizations, is that they have opportunity now to gather all this data that's created internally. And then there is also the availability of all the external data, especially with COVID. A lot of more organizations are looking to gather those signals to try to help them create new models of what the future may look like. And with that, obviously, comes the responsibility of finding that signal and all that noise. The, the more mature organizations are better equipped at, at dealing with all that noise. And Brad, I believe that, that you and your team have put a lot of energy into evolving that capability and building a center of excellence. Can you share with us a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we now have this immense store of data. With that comes great responsibility, as Dan mentioned. But what we found is that we really needed some guides, right? Some people that understood the analytics, that understood big data, that understood the, you know, Hadoop and the, the tool sets that are there with the Python and R, et cetera, and, and were statistical in nature. And now we want to take those kinds of capabilities, apply and direct them toward this data to now be able to answer the questions that have really been, um, you know, longstanding issues. So how do you assess whether or not a renewal will occur? How do you know the right price to charge for a customer? How do you know the right time that a toner cartridge is empty? You know, to get to these types of things, you really need to be able to apply statistics to a business problem. You know, so we took a, uh, we, what I would say is a pretty novel approach. We wanted this to be very visible. And it's a passion of, you know, a member of the, the Lexmark team and the capabilities he had within that quality organization 
to now go spread that word, to build that community practice. And we took an old CEO's office that had lots of windows really centrally located, and we moved them in there. We moved that group, that team in there and, and made them accessible to the entire organization. So now that anyone that has a question that they look at and they say, you know, I would just love to know, you know, what usage data tells me about X. They can go and they can, ha- they can sit down, they can understand the problem and then start building models to go assess and direct that, uh, you know, to answer that question. You know, a lot of companies struggle with that. Breaking down silos, irrespective of the technology, is, is a real business challenge. But that's, you know, that's what we've done here because we saw the, a real opportunity to take, uh, you know, a, a significant step forward. You know, Brad, you described the center of excellence and, you know, you, you're talking about leadership skills. And, and I find that fascinating because when we think about data, so many people think of it in the terms of technology. You know, we had the opportunity to reach out to the person responsible for this inside of your organization, inside of Lexmark, Dan Seavers, a data science lead, to find out about that moment of insight, that moment when he realized that a tool that he was using could be repurposed in a new way and applied to solve a new problem. It would probably be more entertaining if I told you that a lightning bolt went off and I woke up with this brilliant idea. But to be honest with you, We've been building the technical skills for quite a while. We have skills in data science and computer programming and and, in statistics and and even translating. But what was missing, the, the, the ingredient that was missing was creating an environment where people were comfortable crossing functional boundaries. That was really what was missing and necessary was people comfortable with uh, what I call co-creating value uh, between siloed areas in the past. Because people are not, they don't like change, but the one fact in data science and analytics is, is change is rapid and constant. And so you have to be able to move the speed and scale and be able to scale quickly. And so that's why you can't just hold the data to your chest anymore. You really have to work across boundaries in order to both learn skills uh, and share ideas and then create a, a richer set of funnel of, of project ideas. And that's the secret to success is failing forward fast, learning from your cycles, and then putting it back in the system and making it better the next time. So, Dan, thank you very much. You know, there was some comments that Dan shared that reinforced what I expected, and there were some comments that were counterintuitive. I'd like to pivot to Dan Vesett from IDC. Dan, what did you hear that was counterintuitive? Yeah, I think there were a few things. I think one is is that the culture at Lexmark enabled this to happen, that a uh, specialist in data science was able to step forward and felt the freedom to step forward and become the head of a central service, of, essentially. Uh, in our research, we find that uh, a lot of organizations are continue to struggle with a lack of knowledgeable staff in, in data science, people with backgrounds in statistics and, and math and computer science and a combination of those those skills. So having a center of excellence does seem to be a, a best practice that's emerging instead of having individuals spread across the company, bringing them together and then enabling them to support the organization at large across any any uh, business need or, or any department within the company. So Dan, any insights that you've got? I mean, you highlighted that what was different was that you're seeing leaders and organizations embrace the data and apply it and use it to lead their organizations. And you highlighted that as the the delta from where we were previously. So what do you think that Dan Seavers did at Lexmark 
to earn that trust of the leadership team to have them embrace this and use this as a guide star for their organization. So I, I, it does sound like he has a, has a great ability to see what's most relevant for the company today. There's uh, no shortage of opportunity to apply uh, advanced analytics, even machine learning and AI to various problems. But no one team or no one organization can do it all at once. I think that the ability to prioritize uh, becomes one key factor and, and then to assign obviously value to those projects and, and show the quick wins that then lead to uh, follow-up uh, projects and follow-up opportunities. If I could jump in a little bit, one thing I would add there to further drive that point home, you know, when we were off looking at the various ways to break down that next generation of analytics, you know, machine learning, AI projects, you know, we really changed the nomenclature and stopped calling them proofs of concept, which, you know, that's kind of the way IT has always done things. You know, you go and you build something, see if it'll work. And we really started calling them proofs of value because without that clear ROI and, you know, ability to materially impact the business in some way, to me, that's what's what's different, right? We're not just talking about this as a science project. We're not talking about this as a technology. We're talking about this as something that can answer a real world problem in a novel way and drive some significant value. Maybe that's more revenue. Maybe that's lower cost. Maybe it's better customer satisfaction. But you don't really know going into it which of those things, uh, you know, you may be able to go off and solve because we're able to analyze the problem in multi-dimensions and come up with some pretty novel insights that we can then more quickly turn into value and, and uh, you know, and impact the business. I, I got to tell you, Brad, the points you just made I find really exciting. What you're suggesting is that we embark on a journey where we don't know what the destination is. We're trusting the process, the analysis, the collaboration, the teamwork to produce a usable, tangible example and outcome that we can use to guide our organization. I find that quite compelling and, and you know, different than what I would have expected. Honestly, it is very compelling. It is a, I'd say, an unintended consequence kind of of heading down this path. But there's a lot of maturity, there's a lot of learning, there's a lot of training to do to, to really get us to a point where, where everyone, you know, now is kind of at that same level because you're, you're wanting to bring and, and kind of raise the bar for the entire organization as it relates to data, analytics, insights, you know, and those things are important, but it's our opportunity to be more responsive, right? To be able to see these insights and then hopefully be able to instantly turn them into action. Wow. I got to tell you, we've got a lot more to talk about, so please do stay with us. Coming up, we'll discuss how embracing enterprise intelligence is going over on the factory floor and affecting employees on an everyday basis. You're listening to Future Enterprise, a new forward-thinking podcast from IDC focused on how data and technology are reshaping the workplace, applied intelligence, and software. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to subscribe or like wherever you download your podcasts. To dig even deeper into today's topic or view a wide array of thinking on new digital strategies for business and technology leaders, you can visit idc.com. Today, we're talking about the future of intelligence. Now I want to dig into how these changes affect or enhance the day-to-day operations of on-the-ground employees. Because Brad, as you've learned at Lexmark, there really is a need for this kind of agility at both the organizational level and the employee level. 
Yeah, and you know that's absolutely true. One of the things that I think we all need to be cognizant of is that our ability to gain business insight actually makes the employee from a performance level, even from a stress level, it makes them more effective. You know, that's one of the things that we, as we look forward and in the post-COVID world, the world really has changed and our ability to serve up information, to remove uncertainty, to make them, the people, the, the workers, more comfortable with what they're doing, how they're doing it, and being productive at the same time when their entire worlds have turned upside down, that's a, a, a side benefit that we're really seeing from this analytics and data perspective. You know, at this point, I think it would be good to actually hear from someone on the front lines. So we're going to take you to Boulder, Colorado, where Don Knowles is part of Lexmark's crisis management team. So uh, an, an example that I have is we have a, a manufacturing facility. In that operation, we essentially grow very small nanoparticles of aqueous emulsions into the into the toners. And as you might imagine, in that process, we capture a tremendous amount of data from a lot of sensors that are fitted to that system. Up until relatively recently, it's been great to have all that data, but what do you do with it? We had an inability to really see through the forest of the data to capture the essential elements. And recently, with some of the analytics systems, we've been able to make sense of the data and understand really what the key variables are. So going back to the toner example, the other thing that comes into play besides helping ensure quality and, and certainly efficiency is, is predictability. So it's very important for manufacturers to be able to predict the amount of time that, that batches will take in order to uh, be able to understand what the capacity of a facility will be. So that predictable nature of the outcome is also key you know, to the understanding of the process. I have to tell you, I learned something today. I've used toner cartridges and toner for more years than I care to admit, and I've never in my life heard anybody refer to the fact that toner is grown. You know, it's great to have a firsthand perspective on this stuff, but Dan, how does this example fit into the broader context? Well, Joe, first, I also did not know that toner can be grown, so I definitely learned something new today. I think this was a great example of what we're seeing more broadly. It's that analytics and enterprise intelligence is really a team sport that involves not only data scientists and data engineers. It also requires their close collaboration with frontline employees, plant managers, for example. And there's a really a need to bring together the best of both worlds, data analysis and context about business. Everybody today is talking about automation, automation, automation and AI and machine learning are the big buzzwords, but none of that works without context and understanding about how toner grows in this example, how the quality of machinery impacts the process and the product. So I think this was a great example from Don Knowles about bringing together the best of a team that includes humans from different groups and machines, and an example of how this relationship between groups of people and machines is evolving to raise overall enterprise intelligence. Yeah, so people need to have a, a really high confidence that how the process works, the data that's enabling the insight, and then the action that's required. And so to get there, they have to really trust that the machine learning, the AI, the algorithms that come out of this, that it won't cause a problem. And 
And that's a part of that education process I've talked about. You don't just simply walk in and say, here's an algorithm. You can now grow toner more effectively. It really requires detailed understanding with the manufacturing engineers, the process engineers, the operators. All those individuals need to be comfortable with what it's saying, right? What's coming out of the algorithm, the changes that it's recommending and why that's better, right? And ultimately, that trust between man and machine between the data and the information is really the difference between success and failure. I was going to react to that because we see that more broadly as well, because uh, in, a, in a study we did, we asked over 150 managers about this question. Do they accept and do they trust recommendations made by the systems that they have? And 60% said that they don't fully trust them. And then there were various reasons for that. Some said that the recommendation just doesn't make sense to me. So mathematically, it may be perfectly fine, but it doesn't make sense to them in a context of, of the business. Some said that they don't know how to interpret the recommendation. So maybe uh, it's a recommended action that's not actually feasible. Some don't trust the underlying data. And then um, the fourth group said that they don't trust the analysis because they, you know, as Brad said, they don't understand how the data was analyzed to arrive at that recommendation. So this is something that we see across industries and across uh, different companies. You know, one of the things that struck me about when we had this conversation and we got the perspective from Don, a plant manager, is he was talking about how the data improved his agility. And, you know, Brad, I'd really just like another comment from you. I wouldn't have thought about data initially as improving agility. I guess as I think about it, it makes sense. But, you know, again, it's it, to me, it's a little counterintuitive. We think that transformation actually can be a service. And we kind of have internally call this transformation as a service. And that service is, is really made up of two parts. The first is the digital thread. It's the ability to see the data end to end that delivers that intelligence or that information. So that's uh, the front end of the process. Now, when I gain those business insights, we want to be able to instantly implement the right decisions. And we call that the digital asset or the, the enterprise digital twin. And, and so we're investing in both of those so that the information, the intelligence that it comes out of the, out of the process, out of the digital thread, that we're able to take that and implement it in a structured, standardized way and do that very rapidly. And, you know, we're now able to, to pivot that into the digital, the enterprise, the, a, a digital twin of the enterprise to say, well, that change, what does it mean? And as Dan pointed out earlier, a lot of times that, you know, that lack of trust, that lack of confidence in the outcome is because they can't see how it will change their business or it just didn't make sense to them. And we're going to give the, the, the enterprise, in our case, the ability to see what that impact looks like at a system and a process and a task level before it actually cuts in, before you actually make the application or programming changes. And so that collectively, right, is uh, as an overall process is, uh, you know, is how we view the future. So Dan, as, as you reflect on what the folks here have said, how does this apply to other organizations? I mean, you've got vision as a worldwide research practice leader. What do you see? What we're seeing is more companies are, are starting to reinvest, I would say, in knowledge management. We're calling it knowledge networks. And I, and I say reinvest because there was a period when knowledge management was a, was a hot area. Everybody was trying to invest in it, but it failed at the time because all the information gathering and dissemination and curation was, was very manual. So, so one of the benefits today is that we do have technology to be able to gather process data and interactional data between people and curate it and then disseminate that knowledge back to 
uh, everyone else in the company. So we expect that over the next few years, by, by 2024, a quarter of the G2000 companies, large companies, will invest in, in these new knowledge networks. And I think those will play a significant part in the agility that Brad talked about. So being able to learn from your colleagues or being able to call on a crowd intelligence to resolve a problem where the crowd, your, your employees, and maybe some external uh, contributors are highly distributed. You know, we are certainly very distributed today as we speak here in the middle of 2020, but we're likely going to remain much more distributed because of COVID. So, so that's one of the things we're seeing. I think that will have a significant role in enabling this, uh, the agility that we just talked about. So at the onset, Dan, what you said was that you saw organizations actually embracing and using this information in a very profound way. We've got a couple of examples here today that that's exactly what the case is. We have an organization, Lexmark, that has taken these data insights, they've embraced them and they've used them to great effect to improve their agility and their ability to cope with the dynamic world of, of 2020. So it's a really interesting story. What I'd like to do is, is, as we move to wrap things up, I'd like to do a little something I call the lightning round, where you each get 30 seconds to sum up your thoughts on this subject. So Brad, I'd like you to go first. Based on your experience at Lexmark, what would you say to other organizations or CIOs that they should take away from our talk today? Well, I think that one of the things that they should take away from it is that data is a tremendous commodity. And you should think of it as an asset, something that holds intrinsic value for the corporation. And in that way, it's something that should be shared, aggregated across the business, used so that we can answer and, and others can answer those cross-functional business problems that tie customers to partners to our own internal operations. When we looked at boiling down the, the, the various data sources and bringing them into a common data lake and making them accessible, what we found was we had about 600 terabytes of, data of storage in breaking it down into a single data set that is now harmonized and normalized and shared across the organization, you know, we were able to get that down to 60 terabytes. And so a 90%, you know, reduction in the uh, amount of storage that was out there. And that was taken up just simply by data that was being replicated and duplicated and, and really, um, you know, it's a form of waste. So that, that would be my uh, takeaway for others looking to you know, start this journey. Thank you very much, Brad. And Dan, if you had to distill everything we've discussed down to one lesson today, what would be the moral of the story for you? So I still think that too many data engineers and data scientists still ask their business colleagues and their in internal constituents about what, what data do you need? That is often the question when the interaction starts. And one of the things that the best practices that we see and, and also uh, heard from Lexmark is instead asking what, what kind of decisions do you need to make and what kind of actions would you like to take based on those decisions? Uh, and that really changes the conversation from purely a, a data engineering one to one that really literally drives the business and ultimately creates a more data literate workforce and, and data driven decision making and, and learning culture. You know, I, I have to, as we step back and reflect on the, some of the thoughts we've shared with you today, to me, it's fascinating that the, the insight and the, the delta, the difference that's been created at Lexmark was not through more data 
but it was through analyzing 600 terabytes of data and netting down 90% of it to the golden nuggets of key insights that they were able to apply to guide them, to improve their agility, and to help them adapt. My guests today have been Brad Clay, the CIO of Lexmark, and Dan Vesset, the Group VP of Analytics and Information Management here at IDC. My thanks to both of you. I'm Joe Pucciarelli, and this is Future Enterprise, brought to you by IDC. Join us again next time. We're going to be talking about what we call the future of digital innovation and one company that's driving a massive shift in what's usually thought of as a pretty low-tech industry, trucking. Talk to you then.